We are back, and you're listening to The Critical Hour on Radio Sputnik. I'm Wilmer Leon, joined here by my co-host, Garland Nixon. Thank you, Wilmer. Bloomberg, of all places, has an article entitled, Putin's once-scorned vaccine, now favorite in pandemic fight, wherein they write, President Vladimir Putin's announcement in August that Russia had cleared the world's first COVID-19 vaccine for use before it even completed safety trials sparked skepticism worldwide. Now he may reap diplomatic dividends as Russia basks in arguably its biggest scientific breakthrough since the Soviet era. Countries are lining up for supplies of Sputnik V after peer-reviewed results published in the Lancet Medical Journal this week show the Russian vaccine protects against the deadly virus about as well as U.S. and European shots and far more effectively than the Chinese rivals. That's quite a revelation. Well, for insight, we turn to our next guest. He is a British physician. He is a physician in Britain's National Health Service. He is Dr. Ranjit Brar. Dr. Brar, welcome back. Wilma, thanks for having me. Great to be with you. Is this is this a vaccine breakthrough on uh, on the world stage and in a world that is in much need of as many effective vaccines as people can get shot into their arms? I think unquestionably that it is, Wilma. Um, we discussed this uh, on on several shows. It was discussed in Britain, and I looked into this question quite extensively with the data that was available back in August. Uh, uh, for a lot of people, the fact that this was named Sputnik V, um, you know, went down poorly. They don't like to be remembered of this kind of Soviet era uh, 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 reference, if you like. Um, there was skepticism uh, that a world rival on the geopolitical stage, coming as we do from the kind of Anglo-American political sphere and linguistic group, um, didn't like the fact that Russia might produce uh, a bit of science and technology, much as there's been a lot of skepticism towards China. Um, at that time, President Putin famously said his daughter had had it, um, that he would he was likely to take it, that the efficacy was good, that the safety was good. But the data, uh, you know, was was patchy. What was available was not not a great deal. There, there was essentially a phase two trial, but not a phase three trial. And that meant that the numbers were relatively small. Um, and really, we were talking about uh, kind of 20 patients in each arm of a group. Uh, and and where well, the data was excellent, it was very uh, detailed scientific analysis. There was mechanistic information. There was information on the antibody responses elicited. There was safety data was sufficient to start a phase three trial. And clearly, at the point of announcement, phase three trials were underway and were going well, which was what led to the emergency use authorization. There was a lot of skepticism, um, particularly in the Western press, about whether this really would uh, be a step forward. But I think with the publication, it was just uh, at the end of last week, Thursday or Friday, uh, in the Lancet uh, of a third uh, phase peer-reviewed randomized control uh, trial, uh, which is a two-to-one study. So 15,000 people had the vaccine, 5,000 didn't. It showed an excellent safety profile, and it showed a very high degree of efficacy uh, in excess of 90%, actually 91.6, if memory serves. 
Dr. Brar, I think this is, um, <clears throat> you know, demonstrates something unfortunate that's been laid to bear during this pandemic, and that is there are there are those who are concerned about the pandemic, and there are those who put politics first. It, you know, the the um, article saying that there was worldwide skepticism. Well, the skepticism that I read about were in the countries that were always skeptical about skeptical of of anything that Russia's doing and accusatory. And the second part is that. <clears throat> It appears to me that rather than being viewed as a way for the world to overcome the virus, it's being viewed as a technical challenge, as a challenge to the U.S.'s technical supremacy. You know, Russia came out with this thing first, and it seems to right now seems to be kind of the best one, and the U.S. seems to be fighting that off. There's a Washington Post article that just came out a few minutes ago that says how Russian biotech trampled protocols and challenged the West in a race for Sputnik V vaccine. So they're saying rather than see this as a vaccine, they view it through the lens of the Cold War, anti-Russian, they're challenging us, and they're not taking into account the fact that there are people who die, are dying and that there are economies who are also dead or dying as a result of this and that this could help. Your thoughts, Dr. Re Dr. Brar? Yeah, I think that's entirely accurate, uh, uh, Garland. Um, so what we're seeing, you know, is a large degree of hypocrisy because let's not forget that the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine and particularly the uh, Moderna and the Pfizer-BioNTech uh, Pfizer uh, vaccines were all essentially given approval for use before the publication of their phase three trials. And still, uh, for the two RNA trials, the American and the German uh, vaccine, we don't have the full details of those trials. In fact, what we've got is the first interim analysis uh, and very limited numbers of patients who actually contracted coronavirus within those trials, um, uh, uh, very small numbers, 0.04 and 0.4% in the two arms respectively. It was on the basis of a comparison of basically of about 100 people uh, who in the two groups who contracted uh, the virus that we've got the press releases of a first interim analysis of those two vaccines have got a full approval. So they have also not gone through a normal scientific process, a normal uh, process which would take uh, many more years to develop and many more years to come to publication, many more, many more years to come to scientific approval. So, you know, partly all of this is justified. There's a tremendous degree of vaccine scepticism, indeed, of pandemic scepticism that still prevails amongst a section of the population who are really suffering throughout the economic crisis and throughout the, uh, uh, the COVID pandemic. But the bottom line is, there's a world emergency situation which is leading people, countries from all different spectrums, all political persuasions, to try and expedite some form of effective treatment to get us out of the hole that we're currently in. The economic problem is separate, but there's a genuine medical uh, emergency. But what is very clear is that both the rise of China and the rise of Russia as independent forces within the world economically uh, and as powerful scientific forces, because, you know, economic supremacy must rest upon information supremacy, must rest um, upon uh, technological uh, uh, supremacy. So if your really aim of your economy and your leading political group is a, a domination of the world's economy, as unquestionably for many centuries Britain's was, as the United States and the United States century was, then they feel challenged by the rise of China in particular, but also of Russia. China in particular, um, you know, uh, yeah. 
there was a there was a period a couple of weeks ago when they uh, had some quite remarkable advances in terms of their moon exploration and landing, uh, in terms of their quantum computer. They first successfully manufactured a quantum computer and uh, had these uh, successfully trialed COVID vaccines, showing themselves to be modern nations with advanced technology and advanced intellectual prowess who are capable of really contributing to the world community. And that is viewed as a threat. It's ironic that they that they would be accused of making these shortcuts when we've made them ourselves on the one hand, and that they're accused of this vaccine nationalism when quite clearly this technological supremacy and need to be the world leaders in technology, industry and commerce uh, is really at the center of the politics of Britain and, of course, of the U.S. According to the Bloomberg article, at least 20 countries have approved the inoculation for use, including the EU member state Hungary. Brazil and India are close to authorizing it. And now you've got German Chancellor Angela Merkel said she's ready to consider using the Sputnik V vaccine in Germany as she tries to calm concerns over Germany's inoculation program. So it it seems as though the need for a cure or the need for a inoculation could, at least as far as Europe is concerned, could start to outweigh the politics. Yeah, I think that's very interesting. We've already seen previously on the question of gas pipelines, on the question of exports and imports, um, the EU break to a considerable degree with the attempt of the United States administration to impose sanctions upon Russia. Uh, so they have separate interests, and that's clear. And at times of crisis, those separate interests manifest and become the most important thing in domestic politics. Germany currently uh, is suffering because they've only, while they were doing relatively well in the sense of um, non-pharmaceutical interventions in the first wave, and they didn't have as many cases and they didn't have as many hospitalizations, and they've got a relatively better funded health system. Um, they've done less well in the second and third wave. They've been hit quite hard. And there's a lot of pressure to pro provide an effective vaccine. And as things currently stand, the EU, which is a, you know, a group of nations who have a population combined of around 450 million, um, so bigger even than the United States uh, when, when combined, uh, have so far managed to vaccinate just 3% of their population, despite being you know, a group of very advanced, technologically advanced and wealthy nations. So they are under a lot of domestic pressure from their citizenry, whereas the, you know, Britain, who are, the EU have been quite keen to punish for Brexit and breaking away from the European Union. Um, in this regard, in this, this very kind of public regard, uh, have in this one aspect, you know, seems to prosper from the fact that they haven't been uh, subject to central European regulation and are getting close to the 20% of the population vaccinated. They, they came to blows almost, almost a kind of breakout of a trade war between the European Union um, and, and Britain just a week ago um, when the AstraZeneca vaccine um, weren't meeting their targets for export to EU. Um, and the EU in return threatened to block uh, exports, so imports to Britain, exports from the EU of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. So it's a it's a area where you can see trade disputes, uh, real conflicts of interest between powerful nations who were formerly considering themselves allies are capable of escalating quite quickly into marked geopolitical tension and and, and you know trade and diplomatic conflict.
Well, the other thing that I think uh, in looking at looking, um, you know, I've been reading a bit about Sputnik five. The other things that I think are critical is that some of these vaccines have to be kept at some ungodly low temperature. It makes it extremely expensive. Apparently, Sputnik five is like 20 bucks a, a shot and it only has to be kept in basic refrigeration. Particularly, I think that would make it very um, uh, 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 amenable to being used in third world countries and rural areas and poor areas is transportation. I mean, that alone, even if it had the same efficacy as the others, the fact that it doesn't take extreme temperatures and it seems to be inexpensive makes it right now, uh, everything I've read says it's kind of leading the pack, Ranji. I think that's exactly right. Um, so it's a slightly different technology than the AstraZeneca vaccine. It uses two human adenoviruses, so not harmful cold viruses, to take the uh, RNA for, uh, for the spike protein of the coronavirus into the, the cell and expose it to the host immune system because they're two different vaccines. It has this very high efficacy, much higher than the AstraZeneca vaccine, but a totally different technology to the RNA vaccines that have to be stored at these very low temperatures. So it combines the best of both worlds. It has the best efficacy. Um, uh, it, it is stored at low temperatures. It will unquestionably be much more useful in countries that can't uh, you know, afford a huge refrigeration and transportation network uh, of these uh, fragile RNA viruses at minus 70 degrees C. Uh, and I think it's a very important uh, piece uh, of the puzzle of how the world is going to move forward beyond uh, this pandemic. Of course, that will leave the questions of uh, economy, of inequality, and, and of you know other conflicts that, that have underlined so much of the problem uh, with the coronavirus still to deal with, but a very important uh, uh, piece of the jigsaw puzzle, an important uh, way forward and something I think we should all celebrate and push really for recognition and more importantly, um, uh, uh, certification so that we can actually gain access to the healing powers of this vaccine. To your last point about being celebrated, how is this being covered in the British press? Uh, it's very hard to get an apology or, or an open and frank climb down, but it has not been ignored. So it's been very hard to ignore this. There's always uh, mention uh, at the moment of some kind of negative, what we used to call grey propaganda about Russia, about China, uh, about about uh, alleged political repression, about uh, lack of freedoms, etc., that go hand in hand. But they have had to give backhanded recognition of this uh, huge breakthrough in advance. Though it's not been talked about, you know, Britain has very studiously ignored the Russian and Chinese vaccines, and there's been no talk as yet about. Uh, buying up any of it or giving it regulatory approval. But sooner or later, that question, I think, will have to be asked. At the moment, um, it, that issue is not being okay. raised by the okay. mainstream media. Dr. Ranjit Brar, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate that input. And we look forward to having you back. Great to speak to you. Thanks for having me. You're listening to The Critical Hour on Radio Sputnik. I'm Wilmer Leon, joined here by my co-host, Garland Nixon. There's another hour on the other side, folks. Stay tuned.